Jim, James, Tim. What's his name? I wrote it down. Jeff. <laughs> Please welcome Jeffrey Lord. Oh, this is for the Jeffrey this Lord is- show. Lord, really? I thought Jeffrey Lord was kind of like a real guy. How are you supposed to be a strong, thrilling, powerful warrior and lover with a name like this? It is like a weak ejaculation. <laughs> Jeff. The Lord is the gatekeeper of all music in Fort Worth. Oh, Jeffrey. If you don't love the Lord, you're F and F. Like, really, is this the level that you sung to, Lord? So I'm done with Jeffrey Lord. Hey, 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 welcome to the Funky Town Podcast. I am your host, Jeffrey Lord. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, good crowd. Everybody have a seat, have a seat. All right, I got a pretty big show for you this week. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope you're ready. Um, yeah, a couple weeks ago, I told you I went to the West Side Unitarian Universalist Church, and um, in a couple weeks, they were going to have a speaker. They were going to talk about Christian nationalism, and, and I was planning on going back. And so that was this Sunday. I reached out to... Uh, the uh, the speakers, Mindy Tackett and Chris Tackett, and asked them if they would come on the podcast tonight to talk about the very subject that they talked about during church. So that's what we're going to do. They agreed. They said they'd be happy to. They love to talk about it. And um, so we're going to talk about that tonight. First, we'll get to uh, my plan is is to get to know them a little bit. You know, kind of talk to them, find out who they are, where they're from. You know, just kind of get to know them a little bit, and then we'll get into, um, you know, a lot of very probably heavy, divisive, political, religious kind of talk. So I hope you're open-minded for that. I don't usually—I will every now and again. I mean, you can go back through the list, and you'll see where sometimes I'll have people on, and we'll talk politics, or I'll have people on, and we'll talk about— religion or God and stuff. So it's not out of the ordinary, but it's not something I do on the regular. This isn't that type of show. It's a local music show, right? And so these folks are local. They're from my neighborhood and I believe in the cause of what they're doing. Um, I think the subject matter is important. I think it's something to think about whether you agree with it or not. I think it's important to at least listen to the people that are talking about it and uh, see if anything changes, you know, maybe they're wrong, maybe you're right. We'll find out, I guess. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever find out, but you know what I'm saying. You know, it's. Uh, I want to go into this op- open-minded, and I don't want to be divisive. I don't want to be hateful. Um, Christian talking about Christian nationalism being a bad thing isn't saying that Christians are bad, and so um, I don't want any people who profess to be Christians to be all of a sudden like, oh. He's going to just talk trash about Christianity and Christians and being a Christian for the next hour. That's not what's going to happen. At least that's not my intent. I don't think that's where they come from, not from what I've seen this morning. And so I look forward to help, hopefully having a nice, healthy conversation um, with them. And so to kind of get our juices flowing or to kind of get us in the right spirit, I did want to start off the music this week with... Um, a song from Sean Russell. He has that uh, four-track EP. It's kind of a gospel record. Um, I think it's, oh gosh, now I already forgot what it's called. Let me look at my phone here. But it's great. I love it. I listen to it a lot. And um, The Four Gospels of a Weary Traveler. It's an EP. And we're going to play track number three off of it, and it's called Chains. And um, after the 
conversation, we're going to play a song by the Monks of Symbiosis and their song called Find the Hope. So I'm assuming that probably most people that are, that are listening are regular listeners. Um, but if you're not, those are both local bands. Sean Russell is from the Cutthroat Finches. He's also in the Nancys. He does solo stuff. He's very active in, in and around town. Um, he's active in his church. He's a good dude. He's a cool cat. Great songwriter and singer. Same thing with Amongst Symbiosis. I know Daniel Katsuk's in it. And um, one of the best dudes that I know. Kind spirit. Open and wonderful. And Charles Gabby. Um, I don't know him personally, but I've been around you know been around Daniel enough and listened to enough of his projects to where I have a very uh I've got a fondness for Charles um you know I think he's a cool dude I think if he hangs out with Daniel he's a cool cat so that's who the monks of symbiosis are you can find their stuff on Apple and Spotify and all that kind of good stuff so anyways let's drop those chains and be free what do y'all say here we go
Now it's time for our interview. This is Chris and Mindy. Hey, Chris and Mindy. This is Jeff with the Funky Town Podcast. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Awesome. Um, yeah, I had a really good time this morning watching you guys speak um, at the Unitarian Universalist Church. Yeah. And uh, kind of the way that y'all started off on that one, I kind of wanted to start the show off the same way and kind of get to know you guys just a little bit before we got into all the, the meat of it. Um, so you said this morning that you guys, um, you, you said you're from Granbury, like like born and raised, or just like over the over a certain amount of time. No, we were um, both raised there. I, I spent my whole life there. Um, Chris was what second grade, fourth fourth grade. Fourth grade. Okay. So I can't really claim it as like you know my whole life, but the better part of yeah. So we both graduated high school there. And uh, we moved away um, when we were somewhat newly married, and then in 2008 we moved back to Granbury. Because awesome. we had we had two kids at that point, and it was kind of where you know we had some family, and that's the place we knew, and uh, you know that's that's what we came back to to, to raise our kids. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great town. I mean, you, you got the lake, you got the square. Does a movie theater still happen, like the the drive-in movie theater? Yeah, still there. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a cool town. It's gone through, you know, elements of, you know, big storms come through and hunks of it fall apart. Oh, yeah. They patch it back up and it, it's still still there, still showing those double features on the weekends. I went out there during high school. I've gone out there in my 20s and in my 30s. You know, I mean, I've gone out there plenty of times and had, you know, just really cool times going to that. Because that, that was before we had the drive-in here in downtown. We would always go to Granbury to go to a drive-in. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of them remaining, so it's a neat feature. Mm-hmm. Now, my um, my aunt, my mom's sister, um, lives in Granbury. I, she lived in Granbury for a long time. She raised her kids in Granbury. They went to Granbury schools and all that as well. Um, and so I've spent time out there. It's like I've always liked that town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, you, it's a great little town to visit. Um, and you ran for school board. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but you ran for the, like to be on the school board, right, out there? Yeah, yeah. I ran for to be a school board trustee, trustee. Um, in 2014. And served from 2014 until the end of 2017. Okay. Yeah, and it was really when um, Chris ran for school board that we began to see, um, and, and perhaps it was look, we were looking at things just differently, but we began to see some real changes, um, you know, that we kind of went into further this morning at um, the service, but... Uh, we started to see a real blurring of the lines of that separation between church and state and a lot of very specific religious ideology injected into the local political atmosphere. And it was, it was unnerving to us and it was something that we weren't used to seeing. Well, and and I think there was, it's one of those, you know, there's there's so many people that are running through their lives, you know, doing their thing, 
not necessarily paying attention to politics, you know, raising kids, right? That's what we had been doing sure. before I ran for school board. And I, I had been running the local uh, baseball and softball association for five years, right? I was the president of the association. And so, you know, we had had our hands full and that decision to run for school board, it, I think it took the blinders off a little bit because there was probably some of that that was happening, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but it's one of those un- until you're in that space where you're really seeing what's happening all the way around, um, it, you, you just look right past it, I think, in some, in some instances. And, and for us, it was that, you know, decision to run for school board. And, and part of the things that some of the things that I did as I was running was I went to all of the various uh, service or political clubs just to introduce myself to people. Because, you know, school board is supposed to be a nonpartisan race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's for the good of the community while you're running. And so I was just trying to reach out to as many folks as I could and just make sure they knew my name. Right? So when I'm on the ballot, they know a little bit of, about me and, you know, why I was qualified to run and all of those sorts of things. And it was as I started going into some of those meetings is when it, the, the reality of, oh, there's, there's definitely people working specifically in the Republican Party. Um, that are really trying to make these local races partisan and not just partisan, but conservative Christian. Um, And again, we didn't have the term Christian nationalism at that point to use, but it just, the, the rhetoric that was being used and the way it was being pushed just threw Mindy and I for a loop. Now, when y'all were growing up in Granbury, were y'all um, were y'all raised in the church, or were you more have like secular families? Um, I was definitely raised in the church. Uh, I grew up going to church. Started out as in the Baptist church, and eventually we went to the Methodist church. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went all the way from you know being a, a tiny tot to um, graduating high school, having you know a youth group and. Um, mm-hmm. being involved in, in our church. Um, so for me, yes. And I think for, for me, it, we were kind of in and out of, of church. There wasn't re- really a regular church home or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, did attend uh, some as, as I was, you know, growing up. And and we knew, I mean, Granbury is a very conservative place. Yes. Um, you know, the one of the first questions people will ask you is which church do you go to? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we, we grew up knowing it was a very conservative place anyway. Um, but you know, there was just a different tone and rhetoric that began to, um, that began to, to occur. Yeah. Really percolating in town. Yeah. And again, when we first came back in 2008, um, you know, so I mean, it was it wasn't there when we moved away, right? Graduated and left, and it didn't seem to be there when we came back in '08. Um, it was really I, the beginnings were probably you know the early 2010s, 
Um, and, you know, 2014, like I said, is when our blinders really came off. And it was like, wow, something's changing here. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think it has, um, that it kind of trickled down? Because I know that there was a big movement for years where the Republican Party wanted to go through and take over um, just like mayorships and governorships and try to get as many of the <clears throat> local and state offices as they could, you know, more than, and it does, it, it seems like there's a lot of conservatives. I mean, I guess it's half and half, but it, you know, but I know that there was a movement to really try to get into, to go for, cause I mean, even like the mayor race is supposed to be a nonpartisan race, you know, anything that's citywide and so, um, but it seemed like years ago that they were going after those spots in a, in a conservative, it, it wasn't a Christian based, it was just conservative based. It was, you know, good for business, low taxes, you know, hard on crime, that kind of stuff. I, I think in Granbury, um, you know, we always had a mixture of, you know, there were some folks who got elected that were Democrats and there were some folks who got elected that were Republicans. Everybody had a sense of conservatism, if that makes sense. But there, you know, there were always Democrats and Republicans on the school board. We had had a a mayor who had been a Democrat, you know. So it was not an unusual thing for there to be a mixture of parties. But like you said, it was more of a fiscal conservative sort of um, uh, uh highlighting fiscal conservatism in those kind of political spaces. And it was a lot less about this, this, um, cultural rhetoric. Yeah. Right. It, it wasn't, it wasn't this injection of overt religion into, um, either who was being elected, you know, in the races or policy as it was being debated and voted on whether, you know, local state, whatever, but, that that's kind of what we saw. Again, was Granberry always a conservative community? Yes. But did we see the kind of um blurring of the lines of church and state? Uh no. That wasn't something we were used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And again, there had been a history of you know, a fairly bipartisan uh a fairly bipartisan uh, take on how things ran. That's really the healthiest way on the local level, on the national level, is if you can, you want an opposition party to keep the other party from, you know, going to the extremes and to catering to the extremes. If there's not that opposition party, then that's when you get into some really bad stuff. So you, you want the left there to kind of keep the right from going too far this way, and you want the right there to kind of keep the left from going too far this way. It really works. Um, anyways, uh, so that was going on in Granbury then. It's still going on in Granbury now, and it's gone on a lot more places. I, I think there was just a big story in South Lake where it's the same kind of stuff that's going on out there with the school board and the injection. Of- well, and that's really what we um, – so, again, we're, we're at 2024 now, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, been, it's been almost 10 years since we initially had, you know, our, the red flags go up for us. Um, when we began to really dig in, Chris, Chris 
started digging into some of the, the money in Texas politics and campaign finance. And the two of us together were both also looking into what is it that these folks who are coming through our town, because let me give you a little bit of background, I guess, on some of the other things that we saw. Um, there was a, a challenge about LGBTQ books at our county library in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, we had people like Raphael Cruz and David Barton, um, who runs the Wall Builders organization, coming to town uh, to run these voter engagement events for conservative Christian voters. Uh, we had our local pastor council running ads in the newspaper, uh, telling telling people in town that they believed that only conservative Christians ought to run for races like school board and that they were willing to help anybody who fit that bill get elected. Um, we had Dave Welch from the National Pastor Council come to town to talk to the Chamber of Commerce to push the bathroom bill. You know, if you remember that one, that was a big thing sure. in the Texas legislature. Um, so there were just, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, in 2022, we, uh, had a, a book ban off of Matt Krause's book ban list. I don't remember, know if you remember that, that whole thing happening, but our, our school district ended up getting into, was one of the, the leading book ban districts, um, in the state. And so, when we saw these things happening over the course of really a 10-year period, once we had a grasp on what it was that we were seeing, which is we now know Christian nationalism, and we had the language to put to what we were seeing, Chris and I started being as loud as possible about it because we saw it as being very destructive to our local community. And when we started talking about it, there were people all over the state, whether it be about the money, you know, the the influx of money to political candidates, or the overt Christian nationalist rhetoric and behavior that was happening. Other people throughout the state started reaching out and saying, hey, I'm seeing that happen in my community, too. And it's one, you know, you mentioned Southlake and the takeover school boards and, and things like that up there. I mean, the some of the same methodology that groups like Empower Texans, um, which was funded by Ferris Wilkes and Tim Gunn, that's part of the, when I started researching campaign finance, their whole, they are carry the Christian nationalist ideology and fund candidates and political action committees and nonprofit groups and all kinds of things that are all about pushing the ideology. But their strategy to grab levers of power to be able to impose it was invest in races that haven't historically been invested in. So they focused on state house races and Republican primaries. Well, fast forward to 2021, 2022, and that same thought process, that same approach to push the same type ideology was uh, this group called Patriot Mobile, uh, which is a cell phone company uh, that 
takes part of their profits and give their, they resell the T-Mobile network stuff, mm-hmm. but they take part of their profits and they invest in conservative causes, right? Mm-hmm. And they gave half a million dollars to 11 different school board races uh, in Southlake, uh, Mansfield, Keller, and I can't, Grapevine, Colleyville. And they were uh, able to, again, invest in races that are normally maybe a couple of thousand dollars, right? And they dropped hundreds of thousands of dollars into those races and flipped, won all 11 of those school board races, flipping um, four different school boards to where their ideology carried the majority of the votes. And so... Uh, you know, using that, that idea of investing in places that normally don't see a lot of money invested, um, pushing mailers and disinformation and, and all of that, um, it's, it's happened, you know, here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, uh, it's, it's gone on in San Antonio and, and Houston, uh, you it's know, it's a statewide problem, it's a statewide problem. Yeah. and what we find out as we, again, continue to talk about this is the same type methods and ideology is, is being pushed across the country to varying degrees of success. So it is truly um, a, a movement that's attacking all levels of our, our government all over the country. And so, like, I wouldn't want any, any movement, um, any religious movement, to be able to do that, not the Christians. Imagine if it was Muslims doing it, or Buddhist or Hindu or, you know, any of that. But what really gets me is if they're going to push their ideology and they're going to spend all this money to get Christian people in office, it would be a lot easier to take if they were actually doing that so they could help the poor, help the needy, you know, provide health care, daycare in our cities. You know, if they were going for these, these, you know, they wanted to get in office to get these kind of laws, you know, these, this Christ-conscious laws where, you know, because Christ wasn't really, he didn't seem to be a big fan of rich people and money, you know. Um, and so it's, it's just they, they use, it seems like the, the, that they're using this, this Christian faith and this loyalty um to God as a, as a weapon or as a blunt instrument to, to do damage to, you know, the way that our system works. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're saying that because I think it's really important for anyone hearing your podcast to understand the difference between Christian nationalism and Christianity as a religion. So, something that we made note of this morning, um, and we always try to say and and, uh, make sure people understand, is that Christian nationalism is not representative of Christianity. It it doesn't define all Christians. That doesn't mean that there aren't Christians who follow a Christian nationalist ideology, but it it doesn't define Christians, and it doesn't define the faith of Christianity. They're not one and the same. Christian nationalism is the belief that America is was founded as a Christian nation, that 
Christianity should be privileged above all other religious traditions or non-belief, you know, stances. Mm -hmm. It, It wants to marry, basically, a political ideology and a faith tradition together as an identity. So it's really a, you know... It's really a... Um, well, it's this idea that to be a good American means you have to be a certain kind of Christian. And to be a good Christian means you have to have certain political beliefs. Which, again, when you start thinking about you know, broadly what that means, it's really scary for anyone who doesn't fit exactly that box, right? And and it's not to say that people who don't fit exactly that box aren't part of this movement, right? Because it's not just, I mean, you will see some folks of the Jewish faith who uh, align and support Christian nationalism. You will see um, people of, of color, um, and again, there's a huge overlap between white Christian nationalism and white supremacist type movements and, and ideology. Um, and so you're like, how can these people support this? And so much of it comes down to this belief that, well, it won't impact me, right? Because I'm, you know, close to it and, uh, you know, what they're talking about, it's, it's about others, it's not about me. And the reality is with any of these types of groups, when you see these movements go on, um, generally you see an authoritarian bent and it starts with, we have a big, you know, coalition or different groups of different people who might think slightly differently. And as levers of power get control, are controlled, mm-hmm. then those who were on the edges of the coalition who say, yeah, but, you know, what about what about me? All of a sudden, they're now excluded. Mm-hmm. And Christianity, Christi- uh, Christian nationalism relies on a very narrow interpretation of Christianity, an interpretation that not all Christians agree on. Right. A, a, vast, a vast majority of Christians don't agree right. on this very narrow interpretation. But Christian nationalists believe that our laws and the way our country functions should be based on their biblical interpretation. And, of course, that just flies in the face of separation of church and state and the plurality that we have long enjoyed and and, uh, were founded on. Right. And, And when you look at some of the elements they really zero in on, a lot of it's Old Testament or Revelation type elements. Yes. Um, it's, you know, you talked about the teachings of Jesus Christ. And, you know, he was, he was pretty clear on, <laughs> you know, what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. So um, there's a lot of it. I mean, you nailed it, right? There's, there's a disconnect there. It's just, it's so weird to me, you know, like the whole immigration thing. The Bible is very clear on how to treat foreigners. I mean, you know, I mean, they want to quote the Bible, and I don't want to get into this whole whole day thing, but you know, but I, I hear Bible verses quoted a lot for 
this kind of thing, but it, it doesn't go the other way. You know, even like, you know, like one, one, one of my favorite things is um, <clears throat> I think I'm pretty sure that the Bible is um, against debtors, against credit. You know, it's like you you get a loan, you pay it back. But having compound interest and doing all all this stuff was actually looked down upon, you know. But we don't use that, you know. Like I said, if we're going to be a Christian nation, then let's let's do away with our with our banks with this 30 percent interest on credit cards, because that's a sin. You know, let's take care of, of the immigrants, because that's what that's what we're commanded to do, you know, Um to take care of the sick. To, I mean, Jesus says who, um, what you do to the least among us is what you do to me. So think about how we're treating, you know, the, the, the poor and the gay and the LGBTQ and the minorities and the, and, you know, and the immigrants and the sick, the sick. And that's how we're treating, you know, Jesus, if we're going to go by what the Bible says. And so, yeah, I wanted to take up for all the Christians who are like, hey, hey, hang on, I'm not, you know, a Christian nationalist or whatever, and I don't believe that way. And I really do think that a lot of the people that fall for Raphael Ted Cruz's bit and, and, and stuff, I, I, I think a lot of them just are. They've been taught for so long that dem, that Democrats are evil, you know, and so anything that's not Republican well, is going to be evil, and then you know, and they, they've been doing that for years and years and years. But now it's actually accumulated into you know what it what it is now, which has gotten kind of scary. Well, I think it's also important for people to remember that this historic this has happened before in this country, right? Our history tends to be somewhat cyclical, mm-hmm. and so um, these uh, same ideas have. Um, reared their heads before in, in this country. And we are at another one of those times that there is a lot of fear. Um, our country is changing, right? Progress does happen. And that becomes really frightening, I think, to a certain demographic of people. Um, there's a really wonderful book that, Sam Perry and Andrew Whitehead wrote called Taking America Back Back for God. God. Taking America Back for God. And anybody who's listening to your podcast, we would highly recommend if they're interested in learning more about, tell me more about the ideology or these markers, you know, that kind of tend to be key points of Christian nationalism. What are the things these people are afraid of? Because you're right, we see anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. Uh, We see anti-immigrant rhetoric. We see uh, anti-choice and, you know, anti-bodily autonomy rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Um, Pro-gun. Pro-gun, anti-science, right? Anti-vaccine, anti-climate change. People don't want to believe in climate change and things like that. So taking America back for God, um, Andrew Whitehead and Sam Perry wrote a couple of years back, and it is, first of all, it's very data-driven, and second of all, it really gives the reader a very clear viewpoint of what are kind of these key markers 
And the other thing that they point out is there's kind of a scale where people fall in this. There are people who are complete resistors. There are people who are accommodators. There are people who are true believers. They've, they've got multiple levels of kind of where people fall. Sure. Um, but it's important for people to kind of tease some of that out, and, and it helps you have a better understanding of this is a real gray topic. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to digest, and it can be a scary conversation for people to have. But when you have some of that understanding of, uh, you know, where, where people are coming from in this ideology, it's a little bit easier to, to wrap your brain around. Yeah, I, I can believe that. Um, <clears throat> so like a little bit about me, I was also raised in the church and um, I was raised Pentecostal. And so, you know, the church that I went to was like, was like a Jimmy Swaggart type church or, or Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland. Um, these are big leaders for the people that I went to church with. Mm-hmm. And I was raised in that and it, um, it's, you know, and raised in, you know, the Jesus is coming back and, and the rapture and the antichrist and all that, all that kind of stuff. And the thing about it is, it's like, still, I'm very close to a lot of the, those people the church that i was raised in is still in town i'll go and visit every now and again and um we never talk about any of this kind of stuff because um i know how divisive it is um but it's like i love these people and they're they're kind you know folks and they're they're good folks but they do believe you know i'm i'm sure of it because i mean i was raised in it i mean my dad has told me you know there should be no books except for the Bible. That's all you need, you know? And I'm like, that is scary. I'm like, you, you, you know, we can't have, you know, but that's, that's it. That's the word of God. It's the only thing man needs this week. We, we should do away with all the books, you know, and just, it's very much, you know, if this country was a country for Christ, you know, then it would be a better country. If we had prayer in schools, if we had the 10 commandments in schools, um, you know, that it would be a better, you know, our country is worse because we don't have those things you know, is, is, is their, their belief. And I have a hard time trying to convince them otherwise, you know, I don't think they understand if this was to happen, what would happen 10 years down, down the road and 20 years down the road, because they're the fanatics. And what happens if they, if they start to say, Oh no, speaking in, in tugs is heresy, you know, and you're not allowed to do that anymore. That's right. You know, that could happen. Because their Christian isn't the same as these Christians. These Christians don't believe in speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit, you know? Exactly. And that's what I, you know, and so they deserve the freedom to believe that. And these people over here deserve the freedom to believe that, too. And that's the beautiful thing about this country. That's why it's our First Amendment. They're really big on the Second Amendment, but I wish they were bigger on the First Amendment. Right. Well, and and that is... um you know, we are very adamant in telling people from our viewpoint, from the experts that we've learned from, Christian nationalism is probably the biggest threat to American democracy today. And it's not just threatening American democracy. It also is a threat to the church. And I say the church in, in air quotes, you know, at large. Mm-hmm. It, it's 
threatens kind of like you would say, you know, Coke for any kind of soda. Um, when I say the church, it's every kind of church or religious tradition, right? When, when one person's religious freedom is infringed upon, then it puts everyone else at risk, whether you're of a different faith tradition than Christianity or you're a person who might be a humanist, you know, a nun of some sort, a non-believer. That's all protected uh, within our our religious freedom in America. And so it's not just our body politic that is put at risk, but it is, you know, it's, it's the very safe communities that people, you know, find themselves relying on in your ability to enjoy your own belief system, whatever that may be. That's all put at risk whenever one belief system is dominant mm-hmm. in privileged. Privileged, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly what they're shooting for. Correct. Now, do you think it would be possible for um, this movement to be as big as as it is um, without money in politics supporting it? Uh, I I don't think it would be as advanced as it is uh, without the money that has been poured into it. Um, I mean, it has been a movement that has seen crazy amounts of investment um, from billionaire oligarchs, right, from from all over the country, Mm -hmm. um, pouring money into systems, media channels, um, creating spaces in universities that are putting folks out there to, you know, cycle into the business world or take over elements of academia. Um, but it is also money into politics and a ton of dark money into politics. The, the Citizens United decision just created an explosion yeah. of money. Um, that allowed it to push into a lot more places. And the the money inside all of this has absolutely impacted where we are today. And what it's what allows the engine to continue to spin uh, to carry this, this propaganda machine forward. Yeah, that's always been my biggest issue. Like anytime I would argue with, or not, I wouldn't say argue, but anytime I would debate or have a conversation with people who believe d- different than me, I would always like, let's just get down to the money part of it. It's like, I'm not even concerned about right, left, otherwise. Let's talk about who's paying for what, you know, and where where, where it's coming from and what they're trying to do and, and what the end game, like with the, with the school voucher thing, you know, it's like they want to just privatize all the public schools. They want, they want to privatize anything that's public, you know, these big, you know, businesses or whatever. They want to, you know, they want to own our roads. They want to own our schools. They want to own our our healthcare. I think they want to totally privatize society. And I don't know if the 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 people that are with the biggest money are really Christians and they really care one way or, or another what the what the ideology is. All they want to be able to do is just profit, take go, take government money used for schools and put it in their bank accounts. You know, just more transfer of public funds to the private hands. And it's, this is a really good way to do it. 
if we can get people convinced that, you know, our public schools are creating, you know, all these horrible, sinning, depraved, perverted kids, you know, we got to protect them. And so we need to just give our schools over to the, to, to big business, to church. And, and I think it's a, it's a mix when you're when you're talking about things this this privatizing push and especially when we're talking about public education mm-hmm. it, it is a mix of those look all of these people these billionaires they have money and of course they want more right um, and there are some that are in it just for the money um, but the space that I think becomes so much more dangerous is when, yes, we want the money and we're willing to sacrifice the public school system um, because we also want to inject religion into all of those spaces. Now, and, and they'll, they'll accuse the public schools of indoctrinating kids when their real goal is to indoctrinate kids. Right, and you've got different groups of, of billionaires doing these types of things, right? So let's say, for instance, uh, the Koch family, right? They really have, I, I don't think that any of them has necessarily been at the, in a religious sort of way, but they understood that the Christian nationalist movement was a movement they could work with in, right? So they utilized it as a vehicle. However, you have someone like Betsy DeVos and her family, and they are hardcore Christian nationalists. They're Seven Mountains and Minionists. Right. Okay, um, sure. So yeah, you're right. Those kind of folks, you look at Ferris and Dan Wilkes here in in Texas and Tim Dunn. They're Christian nationalists. They're they're absolutely interested in the their Christian nationalist ideology being injected into the state. And they want the state to, you know, they partner with people like Lance Walnow and David Barton, who are leaders in the Seven Mountain Dominionist movement. Um, and, and I know we're kind of transitioning over to Seven Mountain, bringing in Seven Mountain Dominionism when we've been talking about Christian nationalism, but they are very closely connected. So there are some folks who are billionaire type players that aren't necessarily in it for the religious ideology, but there are plenty of them who are, and they all benefit as far as the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all willing for the most part to partner up if they feel like that's going to get them further. Sure. The injustifies the means. Yep. So now, um, politically, I tend to be more of like a, a Bernie Sanders guy. I'm not really like a neo-lib as more as, as as more as I am like a progressive, like a 1930s, 40s FDR kind of guy. You know, believe in right. public works and the commons and you know taxing the rich and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know that, that there's a lot of us. I, I think there's a lot of us out there in in mind they just don't know it and you know i try to talk to people when I, when I talk about this kind of stuff i try to talk about you know like i said our schools or our health system or our food um 
But I know the voucher thing keeps failing again and again and again, and it does it in conservative areas, and it does it in small towns because these small towns, that's all they have is a school, you know, and that's where they, these, these teachers work, and that's part of the economy. And if they privatize it, the town's going to really be hurt, these small towns. Um, so I know that there's a way to where us crazy progressives can somehow reach these smaller town conservatives because i think a lot of our goals are are the same a, a lot of what we want is 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 the same i just don't know if we have anyone that can get out there and spread that message you know you would hope that beto i, I could do it but he was immediately just i mean i like the guy and i voted for him twice you know um and, but i don't think he's the right guy to to help us get texas back well, we're going to push back on that just a little bit. And it's not that in theory we don't agree with you. Okay. But here's our thoughts, and we'll both inject a little bit here. That you're correct about the fact that the school district is the heart of most of every town in, in rural Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it does employ teachers. It's what the community gathers around. It's it's the fixture in, in these towns. Um, historically, it has been a non-negotiable about you support the school system. And that is still happening in, you know, parts of rural Texas. But what I will tell you is it is becoming more and more difficult for House members specifically to run in these districts because of the far-right tax the Republican Party has taken. It is becoming more and more, their races are becoming harder. When there's more money in them, in those races that they're having to fight against. And two, they're having to, to tax further right as well with their rhetoric and ideology because of the fact, I mean, the Texas Republican Party has vouchers in their party platform. It's very simply stated that the Republican Party of Texas wants vouchers. So it's not that we haven't been able to, at this point, thankfully, hold that off. But I do believe it's becoming harder and harder. And the vote for the vote state at statewide level, um, who can help push some of that change for Texas and keep vouchers at bay, those votes, there's just not enough of them right. in those rural places. So I'm going to let Chris pick up from there. Yeah, I mean, the re- the reality, when you look across the broad swath of the state, as, as you look at the rural counties, the, the vote spread in those counties, it's 75-25, 80-20, 85-15. And when you look at the trend election to election, it's only getting more red in the rural spaces. And the idea of supporting your public school, there are lots of folks out in the rural spaces that will support their public school. 
it is not the thing that drives their vote, right? There are these other fear-based propaganda elements, whether it's been, you know, pro-life choice, whatever uh, elements that have, have been laid out there. It's been immigration. It's been something else. It's gender form. That causes them to vote against what would be their own self-interest in their community because they're voting from a place of fear broadly. And things like public education, they, they want a good public school. They want local hospitals. They want, you know, all of the they broadband. broadband, right? Broadband service. Right. But the party they're voting for and again, the media environment that they're inundated in, uh, the ecosystem that they've been pulled into, uh, and it's coming from a lot of their churches too, right, mm-hmm. is pushing them to support, again, a certain candidate who carries a certain ideology, which aligns with this, this broader Christian nationalism space. And I just, from everything Mindy and I have seen the movement to try and do the things, deliver for public education, for rural hospitals, for broadband, all of that. Those votes are in the urban spaces. It is in, uh, those are where the numbers are in Texas. And if you want to be a statewide candidate who's going to win the state, you have got to drive your numbers in the triangle. Right. I mean, that is the the triangle is Dallas, Fort Worth, down to San Antonio, across Mm -hmm. the Houston. Right. I mean, that is where all the population is. Those are the spaces that vote blue. And it's the spaces that have so much room for turnout. If we are finding the right candidate to connect with the young people the the communities of color, uh, you know, any of the minority groups broadly, because um, they historically have some of the lower turnout rates when you look broadly across those spaces. So if you can tap those spaces, it's kind of that rising tide floats all boats, right? Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that ability for those spaces to help Texans everywhere, no matter what party they're they're affiliated with you can make a real difference for the state but we have to get the right leaders in place and And, and here's the thing when we looked at the ticket the last two times it was Beto and and Mike Collier right and we argue that look Mike Collier was he used to be a Republican and he came from the oil and gas sector right Mm -hmm. he's a Democrat now, but he's a very moderate Democrat, and we've heard over and over: you've got to appeal to moderate people in these rural spaces. You've got to you've got to find a moderate candidate that will appeal to the Republicans. That's who got more votes statewide than Mike Collier did, and so I feel strongly that if that was going to work in these rural spaces. If appealing to them with a a watered down, you know, more moderate candidate was going to work, 
we wouldn't have Beto as a governor, but we would have Mike Collier as a lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. I look. I agree with you that one hundred percent. I get so mad at the left. It's like, oh no, no, no. We gotta, we gotta be moderate. We're like, no, you don't. You need to go. Like, I, like I said, I'm a Bernie guy, so I'm like, you need to go left. You need to go left, left, left. You need to say what you are. You need to be proud of it. You need to scratch it. You know, like this is what we're for. You know, you don't need to be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and be like, try to be both. You know, at the same time, just be real about it. But I mean, people. You know the things that a lot of the things that they want these left-leaning candidates are offering, but they don't talk about it because they're afraid that that they're it's going to be a bad soundbite and it's going to get put on Sean Hannity or, or something because they're going to be oh can you believe this guy he wants free health care it's, it's like yeah we do you know it's like that's not a bad thing I don't know when this turned into a bad thing why we're so happy with the insurance companies oh, he wants to put all the insurance companies out of business can you believe him well I think we look at the overturn of Roe v. Wade as being the perfect example right it was something that for a long time everybody shied away from and what we've seen happen in multiple states is that when candidates run on it and voters are given the opportunity to maybe put it on the ballot, the American public supports the right to choose. Mm -hmm. They support bodily autonomy. And so, you know, we, we are not of the opinion that it's not okay to be a moderate Democrat or that it's not okay. You know, we, we totally appreciate and respect the fact that there are people that fall in all you know, all ranges of a spectrum uh, politically. But I don't think that Democrats are doing themselves any favors by shying away from some of these issues that really matter to people. Well, right? And if you want to connect with young voters, you want to connect in with communities that have historically been ignored, right, or haven't been listened to. Mm-hmm. Carrying a progressive message forward allows them to engage and it gives them a seat at the table. That's what we need to yes. be able to turn elections. And saying that, saying that is true, can you know, it can also be true that it is okay for people to have a personal belief system, however conservative that is. It just means you don't get to take somebody else's rights away because of your conservative beliefs, you know, especially when that is something that is a, you know, a a socially religiously uh, based thought. Well, again, it's this idea of I can't because of my religious beliefs, not you can't because of my religious beliefs, right? right? It's that simple. And what we've seen is the Republican Party especially in Texas, but nationwide, time and time and time again, they lean in on a lot of these social issues and drum up fear, um, you know, because it, it, it gets people going. And there are, you know, a number of people who don't want others, whether it's LGBTQ folks or it's reproductive rights or it's, you know, immigration, whatever the topic, they don't want somebody who is different from them to have, you know, the same kind of rights as they do. It's just weird. 
<laughs> it just it's, it's just weird, and it's just it's old school thinking. I'm, I know that there are people my age, younger, that think that way as well. But to me, that's an old thought, you know. <clears throat> where you just, you know, it's my favorite thing, you know, is the differences. I don't want to hang around with all the same people. It gets boring. You know what I mean? It's like I want, I want the weirdos. I want the, I want the loud people. I want the quiet people. I want the, I want, I want all of them. I want to experience everybody that I can experience because everybody is different. And to put anybody on any kind of level, you know, with better, with more rights or less rights is just. It's just crazy to me, you know. Um, but so, yeah, so I wanted to ask. So I, I, I do think that, that that's good because I've always thought of uh, the the city mouse versus the country mouse, you know, and it seems like that our politics is always just city versus a country. And for some reason, the country always wins. Um, and I do like the idea of bringing out more and more of the, the city folks. But my question is, so how to how do we... I don't want to use the same tactics as fear, you know, because because we can be like, okay, look, this is what's going to happen, you know, if things continue to go this way, it's going to be like this. We're going to turn into India, you know. I mean, in, India used to be a democratic, you know, c- c- country, and look at them now, you know, that that happened really quickly. It could happen here. We could do all the fear stuff, but how can we get people out to vote without using fear? How can we do use like love or hope to get people out? Well. I- I think we have to find <laughs> find a middle ground between being able to articulate what we're up against, which is an element of fear, right? But sure. you also have to be able to, you've got to have ideas that inspire, right? Mm-hmm. What we're capable of or what you as an individual can do right with given the the right freedoms given the right opportunities given the right potential path so it is i i i don't know that just hope and love and and those things will fully engage and get people out there now i i think about the obama campaign in 08 Right. Sure. sure. It was open I mean, change. There, yeah. there was so much there that motivated a, such a diverse coalition to show up and vote. Um, but I think even inside that, expectations pushed to a certain level. And when it was time to actually govern, the coalition struggled with how do we advance it? And I think it created some cynicism and demotivated some folks in that, okay, it's not possible, right? Right. And I think you know, we, we saw some of that pushback. I, I look at some of what, you know, Bernie's campaign was in, in his two, uh, you know, runs. And it was very much about where we can go. Mm-hmm. But it ultimately wasn't fully successful. And I think it is figuring out what that balance is, right? I mean, some of the things that are brought forth can absolutely be about where we're trying to go, right? What we're capable of, that more perfect union. But I think we have to also figure out how do we articulate the danger our union is in if 
we don't stem the tide. So it's, it's, a, it's a tight wire act, um, but I think it's the only way to really get us where we need to go and get over that hump. Because uh, some people will be motivated by the hope and others, they, their behinds will get to the polls because they're afraid of, of what they've seen happen and this idea that it could get even worse. That's a good answer. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Now, I will say with the Obama thing, he had everybody on his side. And I think once he got in office, people were like, okay, now do it. And kind of let right. him, and kind of left him alone, and it's like he, it's like I can't do this on my own. I need you people calling, writing letters in the streets, you know, making noise. When I need you to keep doing what you've been doing for the past two years to get me here, I need you to keep doing what we've been doing. And I think that's now I, I've also got issues with because there's this weird. I mean, there's money, and you're they're bought and paid for by all the same corporations and stuff. And even Obama was. You know what I mean? And to where it's like he did what he could do, but you can only do so much because of the money that binds them. Um, and I think that's why you need this loud populist movement of people to where you're like, I can't listen to the money. I have to listen to the people. But when the people aren't right. saying anything, then you go with the money, you know? Right. The money the money fills the void. Yeah. And that's where I, th- I think our issues. Yeah. And so that's what I want to you know, s- somehow get the excitement like that going but to keep it going even like fdr had the had his little fireside chats you know right you know he was- well i think it's important for people we run across a lot of people that as we talk about christian nationalism and we share our story and try to raise awareness with you know people throughout the state there there are a lot of times people be like man you know this is really depressing and heavy and all the things and, and it is, and it can get that way. It can get pretty dark and depressing pretty quick. However, we always try to remind people that when we first started to talk about this, and, and we are relatively new to this compared to the people who have been researching, the folks we've learned from, mm-hmm. and the people who have been researching this and trying to raise awareness for so long, you know, the, the professors and the academics and the journalists, uh, you know, who have been part of raising awareness. It, Christian nationalism wasn't a term that anybody we had come across even knew, right? It wasn't something that was part of the normal conversation. It wasn't a term people understood. It certainly was not a term that we heard in mainstream media. And when people were dissecting our politics and what was happening, it it just wasn't something that anybody ever talked about when you listen to the news. That is beginning to change. And not only are we hearing more of it in amongst people discussing it and, you know, their, their awareness is heightened, but we do hear it in the media and we're also hearing it from some lawmakers, you know, they're finally getting either educated enough or brave enough or a combination of that to start calling it out. And that is absolutely important to have a heightened awareness all the way around because that's the only way 
that we will be able to push back against this movement. Because there's so many more people in this country who believe in genuine democracy and plurality than there are who are adherents to this Christian nationalist movement. But this movement is, as we've said several times throughout this discussion, it's well-funded, they are very committed voters, and they are very loud. And so it seems like it's a bigger monster of people, you know, like, it seems like it's way more people than it actually is, but they are effective. Right. No, I agree with you. It's, um, it's, so, uh, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, it's just, it's our, our hopeful part on it is, gosh, we're so much further down the road with people understanding this so that we can form a, a plan collectively as to how to fight back. It's so the, that's a good thing. It's the populist movement, right? right? I mean, it takes all of us and our voices to be able to say, we do not want to live in a country that has laws that privilege one faith over others. We don't want to live in a country that is going to marginalize the least of us. So we want to make sure people have a seat at the table, and that means we got to show up and push back. And, I mean, that's that's truly what we have to see. And, you know, that's why we have these kind of conversations to just do help, our little bit of part. Right, to just, you know, raise our voices however we can to help others see maybe what's going on and to understand the power of their voice. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Well, I think I'm out of questions. I think we've covered a lot of ground. We absolutely have. It was nice visiting with you. Yeah, you too. It's very good uh, to to meet John. I learned that your neighbors, I live right on the edge of Fairmont in South Hempel Heights. And so, oh, cool. Yeah. And so we probably run into each other at the store and stuff and didn't even know it. That's probably true. Yeah. And so, but yeah, and I really enjoyed y'all's talk to, uh, this morning. Um, I do think it's an important issue. I think that there are, are people out there that will hear Christian nationalism and be like, it's just another way that they're going to bash Christians. It, you know, it's just another way to bash Christians. It's, it's, it's a new term for the old thing, you know? Um, and so I want, I really hope that people understand that that's not what it is, you know? Um, right. And I think, you know, and I, I think we covered that well. And I do want to encourage people to, you know, be active. Cause I, um, there's a lot of folks who are just like, man, I just, whatever, whoever gets elected is a bad person and they're, and they're going to be bad in office and we're going to be screwed be- because of it. And it doesn't matter if I vote or not, it's going to, that's just going to happen. And there's a lot of cynics out there. And I really want a way to somehow change their mind to where it's like, it's that way because you don't vote. If all these people who thought that they didn't matter knew that they mattered, then they would matter and things would change. Absolutely. Awesome. You guys. Um, all right. Well, I hope to see y'all again soon. And I follow you on Twitter. It was weird. I didn't even know that you guys were local. Until um, I saw that you were speaking at at the church, it's just on Twitter. I yeah. think I, I think I saw one of Mindy's tweets once, and I started to follow her. And I really enjoy um, your daily tweets and the stuff that you're, you're covering because it's, it's a lot of local um, Texas stuff and Texas ledge stuff and school vouchers and Christian nationalism and all that all that kind of stuff. So 
Um, I know, Mindy, you're M-E-N-D-I? Tack it? Yeah, on, on yes, on, that's on, correct. And on, on Twitter, I'm men, M-E-N, Tack. Okay. And then Chris? I'm C-J Tackett on Twitter. Okay. Because I encourage um, people to follow you guys. And um, I'll try to even put your, your Twitter ha- handles in the bio because um, y'all share a lot of good information, um, a lot of links and things like that to stories and books and uh, documentaries that are coming out and all that good stuff is on your on That's your right. People, yeah. sure to tell your people about a God and Country that's coming out on February 16th. Yeah, let them know. Chris. That address, yeah. Address the Christian nationalism. Yeah. Um, do you want to say anything more about it other than it's just a, a, a documentary about Christian nationalism on the February 15th, you said? February the 16th. 16th. And, uh, and I will say, I mean, it's, it is experts in the field talking about what it is. So if the conversation that we've just had, anybody who's listening and they're like, yeah, I want to understand more about Christian nationalism and how the, what it's really all about. I mean, this documentary just does such an incredible job of, of breaking it down and talking about it and, and giving people talking points and things that they can express with others and share and continue this populist movement. Awesome. And what was the name of it again? It's called God and Country. God and Country. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. Rob Reiner uh, was... One of the executive producers. Yeah. And okay. So many of the experts that we have relied on and have learned from uh, are in the movie and, are, you know, just do a fabulous job of uh, breaking it down. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for having us. Oh, thank you very much as well. And y'all keep doing what you're doing because I think it's really important. Thank you. Yep. I appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's not why I'm here 
I'm not saying that I understand But my politics are clear I'm just speaking for myself When I say what I hold dear You know it isn't guaranteed Not to disappear Oh no If you're never gonna feel the fear Then you're never gonna find the hope I'm gonna fight.